Today's episode of the City of Smack podcast on the City of Smack podcast network is brought to you by Whoop. No one has been more relieved for the Olympic trials to be behind us than my Whoop. Whoop is a fitness wearable that provides 24-7 personalized insights around your sleep, recovery, and daily activity. Whoop has helped runners of all backgrounds train smarter and recover faster so they can get to the next starting line healthy and hit some new PRs. As I get ready to get marathon training, my Whoop is telling me just how exhausted I was from covering the Olympic trials. But now that I'm rested, recovered, and recharged to get back into the thick of it, I'm good to go. Whoop doesn't get your splits or mileage, but instead focuses on the other 23 hours of the day when your body is getting ready for that next run. Every day, it gives you a personalized recovery score based on things like your resting heart rate and respiratory rate, so you actually know if you're going to crush those summer tempo runs and if the legs are feeling good. I've seen Nikki Hiltz, Joe Kovacs, Dana Giordano, Drew Hunter, and a slew of other professional athletes wearing it. Now it's your turn. Join now for free. Whoop is offering 15% off with the code Sidious at checkout. All you got to do is go to Whoop, that's W-H-O-O-P.com, and enter Sidious at checkout to save 15% off. Sleep better, recover faster, run faster. Get to that next starting line healthy with Whoop. Thanks to the supporters on Patreon. A big welcome and thank you to Anna, James Giuliano, Caitlin Edwards, Peter Bruzgard, and Scott Cook for signing up and contributing their own monthly pledges to keep this show going strong. I just made the decision that with some of the funds on Patreon, we're going to be putting it towards hiring a part-time podcast producer. It's finally time for that. So thanks to your generosity, we're making that happen. If you're a podcast or audio editor looking for some part-time work, I've included some information in the show notes if that interests you. Support us over at patreon.com slash Mag. Another way you can also show your support is by picking up a t-shirt, sweater, whatever you want over at SidiousMag.com and hitting the merch tab. Also, we're nearing about 900 reviews on Apple Podcasts, so it would mean a lot to me if you took an extra second to leave a little five-star review. This helps us populate onto people's feeds as a recommended show on Apple Podcasts and allows possible sponsors to see what listeners think of the show. So many thanks again to all of you who have done that. My guest for today's episode is Justin Knight of the Reebok Boston Track Club. You'll see him in action soon as a Canadian Olympian at the Tokyo Olympics. While at Syracuse, he was an 11-time All-American, a two-time NCAA champion, and has continued taking care of business with Coach Chris Fox as a professional. This season, it's been an awesome season for him. He's set personal bests of 333 for 1,500 meters and 1,251 for 5,000 meters. We touch on those performances, how we got to this spot from being a relatively under-the-radar runner out of Canada in high school, his thoughts on how the race could play out in Tokyo, what it's like facing off against world record holders and world champions, meeting Drake, and much more. Without further ado, here is Justin Knight. All right, now we welcome on Justin Knight to the podcast. It's been a while. I've wanted to do this episode, and you just said... You earned your way on. No, I think you've been, this has been years in the making. Like it's been an upward trajectory, I guess, the last couple of years. And this season's been an absolute monster. So, uh, so welcome. Olympian, Justin Knight. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Chris. I, uh, I appreciate you guys inviting me to do this. So that Olympian title, has it settled in yet? It hasn't. I'm not going to lie. It hasn't. Um, there's been like so much hype around the Olympics and everything, but I've just been focused on letting all that sink in after the race and everything. Like I'm still on a mission. 
I have like my own goals that I want to achieve. And uh, until we get that opportunity, I'm just like staying focused as if I, I didn't do anything yet. <laughs> Cause I was, I went back and I looked at some of your performances over the last couple of years and you know, to realize that you're only 24, uh, you've got a birthday coming up, but yeah, <laughs> but like f- five years ago, it's still f- like now people are like, oh, how how was Justin Knight not at the 2016 Olympics? But really, like your international, you know, competition really only started the year after. Yeah, yeah, I missed it by one second. <laughs> the qualifying and- standard and it it stunk. <laughs> Because you went for the 15 that year? Yeah, well, so I was trying to get the 5K standard. I raced it twice. I think the first time I raced it, I was like maybe one and a half, two seconds off. Second time I raced it, you know, it was the Galen Rupp race, and I won the race, but uh, I was one second off. And uh, from there, like, I went to Canadian trials. I did the 1500 because I knew Canada told me they weren't going to take me if I won anyways or if I got second, so... I was just like, let's go go have some fun in the 15 and ended up getting a, a silver medal at the trials. So did that really, I know at that point you're, you're 20 years old and it's like you, you know that there's a bright future ahead, but just missing out on it by like so little, did it sting a lot or did you kind of maintain that level of optimism a little bit that like, hey, all right, four years from now, I'm not going to make it as close as it was this time around. Yeah, definitely. Like the mentality that I had, and I have this with every race pretty much, is that, you know, I'll take like my two or three days, usually like two days to be mad at myself and upset, poor me. And then after that, like I kind of remember that feeling that I have. And I say to myself is like, how are you going to work hard so that this never happens again? And, you know, I think that I actually followed through with that because like I think the following year was 2017 World Champs, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And um, I think the standard was actually harder that year, wasn't it? It was. Uh, I think they made it a little it quicker, harder. yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I remember it was so hard to run 1325. And I think I ran 1317 that year, and which was, you know, significantly lower than whatever standard that they had set out for us. And um, that was just the mentality that I had after 2016 is like, how do you make sure that you're not put in that position ever again? And, uh, ever since it's just benefited me this time around. I mean, like it's not even close. Like your, your PR is so much faster than the standard. So you have like very little to, uh, sweat this time around. I'm curious because you did say like you give yourself a couple days after like a bad performance this season being so strong. Have you had anything to really be too disappointed about? Um, nothing, nothing to be disappointed about. I think I started the season pretty strong. I, I kept that undefeated streak from 2020 and, you know, I had it for a little while in 2021, but uh, I was in some great races with some great athletes and, um, you know, I'm not a sore loser or anything. And I know that, you know, we, for example, like losing to Ollie Horn, like that was, that was a fun race. And uh, I was really proud of the time that I ran, but at the same time, I was just like, man, like, how do I get a little bit closer to like maybe getting a win and stuff? So I think having like the races being fast and maybe like just missing out on winning the race encourages me to be like, Oh, you're so close to being that like elite runner that you want to be. So like, you got to go back to practice, work even harder and uh, hopefully it pays off in the future. 
So let's dive into the biggest performance of this season for you. It's the 18-second personal best, running 1251.93, number two Canadian, number two North American of all time. I like how you had you emphasized the, the North American part. So was that a little dig at the Americans? You know, this is definitely a very American-centric audience, but um, I thought I thought it was great and it was funny. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't trying to dig at all. To be honest, a lot of my uh, my followers on Instagram, I don't even think they know that I'm Canadian, even though it says, like, Team Canada athlete in my bio. A lot of kids are always asking me, like, oh, what did you run at NXN or Foot Locker? And I'm like, I never got the opportunity to run any of those. But, um, no, it wasn't a dig at the U.S. For me, um, being a Canadian, like, I think it was just a huge moment for Canada to be like, Hey, like we're competitive in distance running too. Um, I I think I tweeted the same thing out about Mo when he ran the fastest North American time. I was just like, no, that's like not just a Canadian record. Like that's number one in North America. So uh, for me, I think it was more so like being proud of being Canadian and just saying like, Hey, we're good at distance running too. But you know, the Americans, they always show up for everything. How did we get to this point? Because I guess growing up, who, were, were there certain people that you look up to? Because in the United States, it was kind of like a progression. The 90s were a pretty bad period for American distance running on, on the men's side. And it finally, I guess, took until the turn of, of you know the 2000s for things to really pick up. And so when you were growing up, was, was that something similar to where you watched like Kevin Sullivan you know, or – uh, whoever it was that really inspired you to really continue to push her or what was the light bulb that went off for you yeah I mean for me I've had a because I got into running so late in my career so a lot of times like I would know people just based off of like the provincial records or who I saw in college so when I first started getting into running I think I really looked up to Kevin Sullivan because he had pretty much any Canadian record that existed especially on like the junior level and um you know, Mike, Mike Woods, who's actually in, like, in the Tour de France, he was someone mm-hmm. that, like, I saw his name in the record books, and I wanted to get his records, couldn't do it, <laughs> but, um, and then, too, like, once I got to college, just seeing, like, Mo Ahmed, uh, Brandon McBride, uh, Matt Hughes is a guy that I looked up to, uh, Cam Levins as well, like, those were all, like, the top Canadian runners for me that I was like, wow, like, these guys are amazing, like, they're doing big things on a, such a big stage. I hope one day I can be as competitive as them. And um, the one thing that I'll say about all those people that I listed is that when I reached out to them, like as a kid on Facebook, pretty much all of them got back to me and not like giving me like some half-assed message and stuff, but like they were like super interested and like giving me advice on like how to be in college and progression. Um, I remember, sorry, I'm going like way off into the deep end about no, this. No, you're but. good. Because I read about this <laughs> the, the, I, in the Globe and Mail. I think you'd mentioned how the first time you'd ever reached out to Mo was via Facebook. And I thought that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was our first time. And um, I remember like Matt Hughes, I, was, I came back from Syracuse uh, to Toronto. And that's, he was, I think he was back over Christmas break for a little bit too. And we were both training at like the University of Toronto track indoor sorry, the University of Toronto indoor track. And um, I remember you saw me do a workout and I was pretty bummed because like I did horrible in the workout. I was bad at pacing myself. I've always been bad at like, running workouts by myself. And I was really beat up about it. And, and like he sat me down and he's like, yo, don't even worry about it. Like 
you know, sometimes you have an off workout, but I guarantee like when you go back, you're going to be in good shape. Like I can tell your form looks fine. You, you just look like you're a little bit off today. And, uh, so said, so done. I went back to Syracuse and I was in better, the best shape that I've ever been in at that time. And, um, you know, I've just been thankful for that generation to kind of be like almost like an older brother to me or older brothers. And uh, I think it's very important for the growth of the sport. And I, I try to do the same thing for like the younger generation too. Have you brought up like the Facebook conversation when you do get a chance to meet, you know, Matt in person or Mo in person or, or even uh, I guess Brandon McBride was around the same time as you, but did you ever tell them like, Hey, by the way, like first time I ever spoke to you was on, on Facebook. And they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure like, I feel like a lot of time has passed for like in 2021, I don't mention that, but like definitely like when we made our first team together, I was like, Oh man, it's so crazy. Like I went from being like a fanboy to like, you know, now we're on the same team together. And um, with all those guys, like, it's, you know, Mo, I'm great friends with Mo. Brandon McBride is like one of my, um, my closest friends for sure, especially in the running community. And um, yeah, it's just crazy how we, I went from being like a huge fan to being a teammate and a friend to them. And uh, I think we're all really thankful to have the relationship that we have. It's funny, after this, I got to send you a photo. I sent it to Brandon yesterday, but I was at Penn Relays. Um, it was my senior year of high school, I think, is when I lost to Drew Hunter. And <laughs> uh, I remember after, like, the relays was done and, like, I saw Brandon McBride. And he was a huge deal in, uh, in Canada and still is, obviously. And uh, I remember I, was, like, saw him. He was, like, right across the way from me. And I spent, like, maybe five or ten minutes just building up the confidence to ask him for a picture. And I have the picture on my phone and I sent it to him like literally a couple of days ago and he laughed about it. That's hilarious. It's, so, I mean, it is really important, I guess, to continue, I guess, like cultivating and investing in like the next generation of fans. And so I, I guess like what I'm curious about is when you did look up to someone like Kevin Sullivan and, and you see all these other Canadian stars coming to the United States to run in the NCAA, how did that sort of happen for you? Because I know that's a, a big thing that maybe some people kind of are a little confused of is like, how do we go about finding and recruiting some of these Canadian athletes? And so how'd you land at, at Syracuse? And, and what was, did coach Chris Fox just happen to get really lucky and found like one of the number one recruits? <laughs> he, he got really lucky. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so actually it was my recruiting visit. Like I only took two visits um came down to like three schools at the end of the day because I, I started my recruiting process very late actually and the top schools that I was looking at was Wisconsin Syracuse and NAU at the time and all the all the coaches were so nice like at the time I think Eric Hines was the coach over there uh he was great like my family liked him uh <laughs> Gavin Kennedy the assistant coach at Wisconsin and McBurn like they were phenomenal. Those guys are, they're cool. And I'm still friends with, uh, with them to this day. Sometimes me and Gavin will, uh, talk on Instagram or Twitter and, uh, coach Fox. So how I landed at Syracuse was that I don't even think coach Fox knew I existed, but, um, one of his, one of his friends was an alumni of my high school. And he wrote coach Fox a message saying like, Hey, I'm not saying this just because like this kid goes to my former high school, but like he's going to be something special and you should try to recruit this kid before it's too late. 
And <laughs> uh, I guess Chris Coach Fox, like, he looked at my times and, like, I guess there was some, like, running footage on me. And he was like, oh, yeah, like, he's, he's a pretty good guy. So they reached out from there. And, um, yeah, that's pretty much how, like, the conversation started. And then when I went on my visit there, every like, it felt like family. The entire Syracuse community, the athletics department, like, they were just so warm to me. And uh, it was just the best decision that I could make at the time. What made Coach Fox like a good fit for you? Because I guess I've had Marty on the podcast before, and he's gone through his uh, training philosophy. And the two of you are very similar in the fact that for now it's been, what, like seven years that you guys have been together? It's crazy. And that's, it kind of feels like when, I don't know, to make the comparison, it's like Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Like He got him young and then saw him develop <laughs> yeah. the, this big – huge star it's very somewhat similar I guess where he inherited this this talent that he didn't really see like what the true true up you know potential could have been but it has kind yeah. of exceeded all expectations what was what were the early stages of that relationship like and then how did we get to this point yeah I mean coach Fox he always believed in me from day one he from day one I told him like I want to be an NCAA champion and he told me that we're gonna get you there uh, I'm pretty sure that's what he told me on my recruiting visit. And every year and pretty much every month in training, like he kept telling me, like, by the time you leave here, you're going to be an NCAA champion. And um, yeah, we had a great relationship. Coach Fox, like he's very mellow. He knows how to um, encourage you to do better without like, I guess you can say like demeaning you. Cause you know, like sometimes if you have like an off practice or something like that, like a coach can like just really yell at you and like to try to pump you up. But like, it might not work for all athletes. Um, you know, Coach Fox, he's, like, pretty soft-spoken. Like, he has a good – he does a great job of encouraging you to be better without, like, kind of uh, making you feel bad that you're not uh, working up to, like, his standards or something. Um, also, like – sorry, I kind of just lost my train of thought. But, like, he's good. Like, we had that understanding that you got to be – if you want to make it, on an elite level like you got to be great at more than just one event and that's something that he's kind of preached to me about and given me multiple opportunities to be great at cross country the 1500 the 5k he wishes the 10k but i'm telling you i'm not doing that until i'm a little bit older but um yeah overall he's just a great coach um i think the thing that works well with me and him is the fact that i'm the type of athlete where I really don't know my splits that well, or at least at the time when I was there. So if he asked me to do something, I would just do it with no questions asked. And um, I think like we really benefited from having that relationship. When did you really start to garner the confidence to win races? I know like he told you along the way, like you're going to be an NCAA champion, but it's something that we saw, you know, from your days at Syracuse, we've seen you do it as a professional yeah. now. But even like going into the crazy fast 1251 5K you put together, like, do you go into races like that thinking, I have a shot to win this? Yeah, I go into to every race thinking that. And it's, it's from where it started, like to answer your first question, like in college, you have to understand that one, I was new to running and two, like, I'm not, I'm not American. So I didn't, all these kids in the NCAA, I had no clue who they were, like, 
to me, it's just a bunch of skinny kids running around in split shorts and stuff. So it's not, it's not that intimidating of a picture. Right. But, um, yeah, like when I got into these races, I just wasn't really intimidated by many people. It doesn't mean I won all the races, but, um, I just went out there and tried to do the best that I can do. And I think on the pro level too, in the most humble way, it's like, if you're not trying to win, are you really trying to be competitive? And it's okay that you won't win every race that you're in, or maybe you, maybe you're not even close, but if you go inside, sorry, if you go into that race with the mindset that I'm going to lose, or I'm going to get sixth or something like that, like you're probably going to do a little bit worse than that. So, um, I think it just all ties into like my frame of mind where I set really high goals for myself just to give myself some room for error, just in case something doesn't work out my way. You still keep it fairly loose where you try not to know too much about like the competition or how much of a, I guess, student of the, the sport did, did you start to become over time? Because I'm guessing like in college, it was hard to brush off like, oh, I don't know who Edward Cheserek is or like, I don't know who Grant oh, Fisher is. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you. So the first time I knew Ed from, we met for the first time at Penn Relays when he was a freshman. We met inside Chili's, actually. That was a really funny story. But uh, we, we were friends earlier on, but I didn't necessarily know how good he was. And the first time I raced him was at, like, the Battle of the Beantown. And I remember, like, hearing that, oh, like, he's the top dog in the NCAA. He's really good. And I came in as a freshman, and I was telling my teammates, like, oh, nobody's going to see this coming. Like, I'm going to just, like, sit on him and then outkick him, and then I'm going to be the king of the NCAA. And my teammates were – they were like kind of laughing about it, but didn't like put me down. They were just like, Oh, he's in for a rude awakening. And that was like the hardest race of my life. I literally walked up the last hill called the bear cage hill because my glutes were on fire. They, uh, they actually, uh, they killed me in that race. But even to answer like your question of like, what do I do now? Like I like keeping up with the diamond leagues and stuff. So um if there's a race on tv i love being a fan of track and field so i'll always watch but i don't really look into things too much because for example like there's a bunch of ethiopians or like kenyans that run really fast and i don't necessarily know who every person is unless i watch their race at the diamond league but i'm not going to be online looking up people's prs and stuff like that does that also help keep some people like more you, you don't have this illusion that this person is unbeatable right because like i feel like joshua yeah. chepta guy is someone that you probably now i guess are going to be racing fairly frequently but yeah. it would scare some people to realize oh he's got the world record in the 5k and 10k like that that like i can't do that and so yeah. how do you how do you go about i guess making someone who's very i guess like i don't want to say like superhuman but like the yeah. times are pretty crazy no. but like you bring him down to like he's a human too and i could probably beat him yeah for sure i mean like with someone like him it's actually really funny so the first time me and him met it's two pictures now that i gotta send you uh was at world juniors back in 2014 and that was actually a pretty epic race. If you look at who was in that 5K, Yomif was in it. Uh, Morgan McDonald was in it. Chepta Guy was in it. I, there was the Kiplimo in it, but I'm not sure like what his first name was. But it was a pretty stacked field. And um, Joshua, like he was so nice. Like 
obviously me and my friends, like we asked the, for a picture with him because he won the 10K and also got second in the 5K. And that's kind of like where my friendship with him just started. And uh, when I see him on these pro circuits and stuff, he's just like, hey, Justin, what's up? And he actually remembers me from 2014. And it's just, uh, I think when you know guys like that from such a young age, it's easier to see them as a human, as you said, like, he's not that intimidating because I've built like kind of like a friendship with him, but I still acknowledge how amazing he's grown to be. So um, yeah, I think like, obviously you have to give people their flowers where it's due, but at the same time, you have to have enough confidence in yourself and know that these people are only bringing out the best in you. If they're running this fast, that means that now you have to try to run that fast and you might actually run faster than what you were actually supposed to run. So I made that really confusing, but that's the way I think about it. <laughs> I'm laughing at the thought that you've already said you've asked multiple people for photos along the way. Oh. <laughs> uh, is it like, do you have any, what's the funniest, I guess, encounter you've had with someone asking them for a photo? Um, see, everybody's been pretty nice when I ask them <laughs> for a photo, especially because I think when I would ask people for photos, I was definitely younger. So it was like, it's not like I'm a 25 year old fanboying over like some other guy in the race, but, uh, I'll never forget like Mo Farah in 2017 and running in the semifinal with him. And he's another person that I looked up to as well. And I think, I don't remember what I got in that race. It was either fourth or fifth, but I was one of the auto qualifiers and I was just amazed that I was finishing with him, like, you know, racing to the line. And then when I looked up at the board and I was like, Oh man, I made the final. I saw Mo Farah and I was like, Oh my gosh, that's Mo Farah. Like I couldn't believe it. And I told myself like, okay, play it cool. Like you're an athlete here. Just shake his hand, say good race and go to the locker room. And as I got closer to him, like all that went straight out the window. I was like completely fanboying over him. And I was like, yo, it's so nice to meet you. I'm a huge fan. Like I've looked up to you for so long and stuff. And uh, he was super cool about it. But then he had to go do some interviews. And then when he came back to the locker room, like he actually sat beside me. And we had like a great conversation. He was asking me about like who I am, about my life and like what, what school I go to and stuff like that. And that's kind of how I was able to form a relationship with him as well so that's a good one <laughs> yeah when, from those early world's experiences like 2017 and i guess like 2019 what did you learn i guess about now competing against people who are medalists it's it's you know making the final and i br always bring it back to this conversation i had with chris Zelinsky where he was like the first time he ever went to world's like he could hear the breathing and how easy it was for like the, the people who end up meddling. And yeah. meanwhile, you're just trying to hold on for dear life. <laughs> and so then there comes a point where you realize in, you know, the next opportunity in training, you have to be just as comfortable as them to make, mm. to be able to make that big move. So, and, and so it was very just interesting for me to hear that, like he needed that one world's experience beforehand in order to understand what it is that the the top level feels like yeah. did you have something similar to i guess you know being in semis and finals with like the people who do end up meddling yeah so i think at two at both the worlds that i went to I, I learned two different things actually um in the first one i learned that 
it's okay to run at the back of the pack if you're trying to, in a slow race, if you're trying to avoid like getting bunched up or tripped up and stuff like that. Like if it's going out slow, um, that's something that I wouldn't say didn't make sense to me, but at the world level, because there's so many people, like everybody wants to be in second place or third place. And um, just from watching guys like Mo Farah and um, even Jakob, Jakob does a really good job now if you actually pay attention to him of just putting himself out of danger and then towards the last mile, just putting himself in a place to win. And uh, that's something that I learned in the 2017 World Championship. And in 2019, I think the biggest thing that I learned is that you have to be able to close that last mile. Like, I don't know. I don't know what the splits are, but I'm going to assume like maybe like four flat, maybe 358. Does that sound about right? Yeah. 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 To win. Yeah. So you got to be able to like close that fast, whether you're in a 13 flat race or if you're in a 1320 race, no matter what, if you're going to be in contention to win. And um, yeah, I guess that's just the two things that I've learned. And we've been trying to work on all of them throughout uh, the years. When did you, I guess, like, I guess in earlier this season at, at the Diamond League where you ran 1251, when did you realize that it was going to be like a fast race? Uh, well, I knew heading into the race because I, I told my agent, Ray, like, I need to run a fast 5K and I don't want to run a 5K until I run a fast 5K. And I heard rumors that like uh, Florence, the Diamond League was going to be really, really fast. So we headed over there knowing that that was kind of be the, was going to kind of be the pace. And uh, to be honest, I felt great the entire race, the last three laps, I think like that's when I was starting to get tired and I was starting to be in like a little bit of unfamiliar territory. But um, the whole race, like, I didn't know that we were actually on pace because I thought it was going to be like feel a lot worse. Um, but yeah, it ended up being a great race, and uh, yeah, everybody ran fast there. <laughs> it was funny. I just watched an interview that your fellow Canadian Malcolm Gladwell did about uh, how they asked him what is his favorite event in track and field, and he said it's the five k because for like the first you know, it could be eight laps or 10 laps. There's really a lot of nothing. Like it's just, you know, you're kind of, it, it, the, the drum is going and then eventually someone is going to be the one who makes the hard move. And, and that's when really things pick up. Is it your favorite yeah. event too? Yeah. Oh man. I, I love the 5k because I'm, I'm good at it. The 3k though is a really, really fun race. And I think it's like, you get the best of both worlds where you get like, the speed of a 15 from the gun, but then also like a little bit of tactics and like people making that big push at the end from the 5k. So I think like the 3k is really fun to race. Uh, but definitely like the 5k. Then again, I really like the 1500 too. I, I really enjoy just being a 1500 meter runner for majority of the outdoor season. So yeah, yeah I, I like all the races. <laughs> this season in particular, you ran a couple 1500s. You got down to 333, and the closing speed that we saw in Florence, it, it like, paid off because, like, we've seen you in this yeah. few, these 1500s <laughs> the entire time, and now it's like, oh, okay, he hit a home run in the first 5K that he did this season. Was that just, like, the general purpose? How, does, how do 1500s for a 5K guy fit in under, like, Coach Fox's philosophy? Yeah, so Coach Fox, like, we had a great talk um, in 2020. I guess the Olympics were 
supposed to happen then. But then when they canceled, we kind of regrouped and we talked about how we wanted the season to play out. Um, I focused a lot on building a base. So I usually never, anytime I was in college, I never got a chance to build a base because I would keep competing throughout the summer, whereas my teammates were done after NCAAs. And, um, and then I would take like a month or a month and a half off, and then I'd just show up to school and start running from there. But this summer, I actually had a, like a lot of time to build a base, to build a lot of strength and stuff like that. I did a lot of workouts with the marathon guys during the fall as well. And um, when the season came around for indoors, like I told Coach Fox, like now that we're strong enough, I want to focus on like getting my gears turning because in order for me to be in contention to get a medal, I have to be at least able to run 334, I told him. At the time, I told him 334. Like, to be a 5K medalist, like, you at least need to run 334. And um, he told me, like, yeah, we'll get there. Don't worry about it. And um, to be honest, for a lot of those, I didn't really do too much 1,500-meter stuff. I would just, like, hop in the races and go from there. And then when we went to L.A., I think that's when I like did a little bit more of a 1500 meter workout leading up to that. And, uh, we were able to get the result that we wanted. Uh, cause I, I'm trying to think it was, I don't know if you remember this, but like before the world shut down, Milrose games was like one of the last races yeah. on the calendar. <laughs> you came out to New York and at this point, like COVID was being talked about because it, I guess world's, World Indoors was, I guess, about to get canceled or was canceled. And you didn't even want to take the subway up to uh, yeah, 160th Street. You, you called an Uber, and I was like, no, don't call an Uber from Times Square. Like, it was, it's going to be so expensive, and it's going to take you forever to get there. But you were insistent on, like, no, I'm not taking a risk. I'm, I'm not taking the subway. And, yeah. and, and so I remember there was, like, this big COVID cautiousness that you had. Um, mm-hmm. You were very early on, I guess, on on on, on being safe <laughs> to things. And then, you know, when everything shuts down, I forget who it was. But it told me it was like for a while you did everything by yourself, right? Yeah, from March to October, I did not see my teammates. I really was training by myself. Yeah, so I'd see Coach Fox twice a week, and like he'll come, maybe like supervise a workout. But like, I don't know, because for me it was just like with the information that I was given at the time, I knew that COVID would affects your lungs and your heart. And as a runner, you need your heart, your lungs and your legs. And I'm not going to lie. Like none of my teammates were doing anything crazy, but the precautions that I was taking, I don't think a lot of people were taking like the same type of precautions or being as safe as I was. And I didn't know how it spread or anything. So I was just like, listen, this sucks. I'm bad at training by myself, but maybe this is going to be a time for me to grow and I'm going to practice by myself. Yeah. That, Cause that was, that's what I was wondering. It's not that like everyone had their own different levels of like what was comfortable to them and, and, and how safe that, you know, they wanted to play things, especially because, you know, yeah. people grouped in your teammates were probably like their own bubble and they kept to themselves. Um, yeah. So how hard was that? Cause you did mention before that like you, you're not as good doing workouts solo. So were things like all over yeah. the place? It was, I wouldn't say it was all over the place, but it was tough. Um, I don't even run with a GPS watch because like I never had one growing up. Like I always just had a G-Shock and um, on long runs, actually, like I was running into a problem where 
I didn't know how fast I was going. And it turns out like I was going ridiculously fast. Like I want to say like probably hitting like 515 pace or maybe five, maybe 520 pace for some of my long runs. But then it'd make me so tired that I couldn't do the workouts properly. And um, I think by the time like July, August came around, I kind of got a grip on being able to hold myself accountable for paces and figure it out and stuff like that. And um, I think uh, it really benefited me because then when I did group back with my team, instead of being the kid that always like needs someone to take out the first 200, I would start pursuing the role of being the guy that dictates the pace and like holds the team accountable and ended up making me a better runner. So um, I had to do a lot of growing. It was very tough. And there are some days where I just like, I didn't want to do it because I felt like it was unfair. Why did, why is this happening to me? But I ended up growing from it. Oh, and don't quote me on the five minute pace long runs, because that's just, that's based off of my own mental GPS watch. I don't know if that's true or not, but it, it felt like five minute pace. Because I have a group chat with a couple of the other guys who are involved with City of Smag. And when I tell them, I was like, I'm going to interview you, Kyle asked, well, Justin's a notoriously low mileage guy. So if you're running this fast now, or like, I'm not sure if things changed this season, but what would happen yeah. if you actually ran like 100 miles in a week for, for training? Oh, man. I would probably move to the 10K. <laughs> I, uh, Right now, I, I'm sitting nice and steady at 70. Um, yeah, 70 has been like my go-to mileage. Mileage. I uh, run six or seven days a week. Every other week, usually I take Sunday off. And um, yeah, it's been working well for me. Maybe next year we'll see like another bump into the mileage that I do. Because the only 10K on your record I'm seeing here is 2016 <laughs> Tallahassee 2946. That's your PR right now. It is. And fun fact, I think my 10K PR is actually faster on a cross-country course than it is on the track. <laughs> I think me and Pat Tiernan ran faster the year that he ran, or he won NCAAs. <laughs> That's so funny to think about. Because it, 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 what would it take, I guess, for Coach Fox to convince you to try the 10K and, and like sign you up for one? Because it, it was very similar, Grant Fisher and Jerry – had a very yeah. similar conversation. Grant's like, no, I'm not. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And now look at him. He's running it at the, at the Olympics. I know. Yeah. Uh, well, how he got me to do it at ACC's was because I think he didn't want to overwork me because the ACC was actually pretty strong. So he didn't want me to go in the 5K. He didn't want me to do the 1500. He's just like, just go out there and jog the 10K. And I wore flats. And well, I lost. I got third in that. But you got third, to, yeah. <laughs> to Lewis, I think it's Lewis Vargas. He was really good at NC State and Tommy Curtin. Uh, two great runners. And uh, I think right now, I don't know, like, as I said, like, I have, like, this natural ability or natural uh, capability to run a fast 1500. So, like, I'm all for using that natural ability while I still have it. And then as I start to get older and I'm maybe not as sharp, I can gradually make my way to the 10K just to kind of like prolong my career. That's, that's the way I think about it. And so you're, you're not even anywhere close to thinking marathon down. Well, marathon sounds like oh, it'll be down the road. Really. 
I mean, if I can finish my career and I don't have to run the marathon, I would be okay with that. <laughs> but hey, if if I need to make a little bit more money and stuff like that, and that's what's in my cards, you go, yeah, sure, I'll do the marathon. <laughs> because honestly, like the the Canadian rise in distance running isn't just in you know the five k, ten k with you and Mo. Like it goes, I guess Cam lit a spark with the marathon in his first ever attempt running two oh nine. Yeah, he's been killing it, Cam. Man, I got to reach out to him and say congrats because like. He's just, he's amazing at everything. And then you, you always, I don't know, like I remember it was just like just the other day when I'd see him and Galen run uh, at BU and then do like some crazy workout after. And then now I'm seeing him like how much strength he has and his capability to run the marathon. It's just remarkable. And I know we have Trevor Hoffbauer, who's really good in the marathon. Uh, ben Preisner, uh, he was, he's been a guy that I was competing against like my entire high school career. He was the man. So it's really cool to see all these like Canadian distance runners just uh, grow into being phenomenal athletes at the marathon distance. What did you make of, I guess, like, cause you decided not to run Canadian trials, you and, and Mo got selected. Yeah. Um, and, and it was just so interesting at just how the way things worked out with, you know, the, whether it was going to be an auto birth if you won the trials or not, but the yeah. 5k in particular was super fascinating for a span of a couple of weeks where your teammate Ben Flanagan yeah. was in, in contention for one of the spots and it ended up, I think going to Luke Brochet, right? Yep. It went to Luke Brochet. He ran a crazy race in Vancouver. I think it was Vancouver uh, running 13, 12, I believe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was really good, man. It was crazy. The 5k was all over the place and, I can't, I can't even imagine like the amount of stress that was on Ben, Luke, and even Karen Lum. Like for that three, like this is the deepest that Canada's probably ever been in, uh, in the 5k field. And just for it's like a lot of the kids were thinking it was going to come down to points. So they're trying to figure out which races to go to, how to maximize their point rank in their, sorry, their world rankings and stuff like that. And then, you know, when a kid gets the standard and all of a sudden it's like maybe a little bit too late, it just... I can't, I can't even imagine. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it was, it was a little heartbreaking for, for Ben, especially cause I think yeah. he went all the way out to Canada, did the quarantine and then, like decided to just, all right, I'm going to go for it in Oregon, come back to the yeah. United States. It, it's just so fascinating. I guess the length of what people will go to for the Olympics. It, when was like the first time Olympics crossed your mind as like a big goal for you? I think uh, I really wanted to make the team in 2016. <laughs> I really did. I think like when that, when that year happened, like that was the main goal. I, I thought it was like pretty much a, like a long shot, but I really wanted to do it. And then after that, I think when I made the 2017 world championship team, that's where I was like, no, we are making the next Olympic team. Like there's no way you're going to be left off that list. So um, yeah, I just try to take it season by season. I'm not going to lie where whatever's happening in the season, if it's world champs, we're focusing on world champs. If it's, uh, an off season where you just get to run fast, we're going to work. We're going to focus on just being like the fastest you can possibly be. And then this year just so happened to be the Olympics. And that's what we've been focusing on now. 
it's a little bit of a shame that like you won't be able to do like opening ceremonies and all that because yeah. I'm sure you would have had a field day just taking pictures with you know some of the USA basketball <laughs> players. Uh, oh, who man. would you like? Who would you've been looking forward to the most to like interact with? Even like the Canadian basketball team is is legit. Yeah, well, I know a couple of guys that would have been on the Canadian basketball team, so it'd been cool just to like say what up to them and like talk to them because like I grew up playing basketball so some of these kids they were on like the younger team that I played for so like for them to see me at the Olympics in a completely different sport like it would have been pretty cool um I guess you could still see them in the village probably right I have no clue (laughs) I I have no clue how like the Olympic village is set up but um I would have been looking forward to meeting everyone like I'm a pretty friendly person and I love making new friends like to me it's not even about how good you are or what you do. I just like love making new people. So it would have been a really cool opportunity just to meet people from around the world or Canada and, you know, just get to meet new people and make friends. Uh, I think though with this Olympics, just with the whole COVID going on, um, I don't know, like a lot of people, like I think people that were in the Olympics before I've had conversations with them and they're saying like, Oh, like it sucks. It's not going to be the same. And, you know, maybe they should have just posted, Actually, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I'm not gonna, Wait, another uh, year? No way. <laughs> no, no. But some of them were just saying, like, how it's not going to be the same. And to me, this is my first Olympics, and I understand, like, it isn't going to be the same. But the main thing that I am focused on is the fact that we are going to be able to compete against the best athletes in the world. And I couldn't care less if we did it in Japan or the high school that's just down the road from me. Like, the fact that we're going to the Olympics, like I'm there to compete, like everything else is really cool and I get it. But um, the main thing that I'm focused on is just being able to compete and be a contender in that final. So um, yeah, who knows? Maybe like in Paris, if I make the team again, it'll be better, but I'm just focusing on competing. You did say, I guess like closing in 334, getting in that sort of shape, uh, is what you think it would take to end up in the medals has that changed uh you might have to be faster (laughs) to be honest (laughs) seem like especially like i think monaco just happened and like man those boys are running fast and uh yeah i think i think it's changed i think um obviously i think that i'm in a better shape than 333 to be honest and i think even uh if you ask ollie like he can attest to this when we ran in oregon (laughs) And when we ran in LA, both races were extremely windy. Mm-hmm. And um, for us to be able to cut, well, it was more so him because I was sitting on his back the whole time, but I still got the win too. But uh, I think if we did get into that perfect atmosphere in a quick 15, that both of us have a lot more to give. So I think like, yeah, you definitely have to be better than 333 to, to win the Olympics, but I think there's a lot of people that's going to be in that field that are capable of closing like that. Oh, I meant more like the closing speed for the 5k. Like, uh, like what? Oh, sorry. You, yeah, no, no. In general, like, I guess, is it going to be, you know, top three guys might be sub 1255 or something like that. Like, what are you kind of expecting or thinking for the 5k in Tokyo? I, I do think it's going to be like that because the one thing that I've noticed with all these races is that there's a trend and you saw it in 2019. It hasn't really been a sit and kick type of race anymore. Like nobody's really scared of each other. 
and people are trying to like outrun each other in the races. I think in 2019, wasn't the race ran one in like 1301 or 13 yeah. flat or something like that? So I think this year, especially since everybody's like a little stronger, a little faster, I think like the winning time is probably going to be in the 1250s or something like that. Is that because uh, I'm trying to think like it, it sounds crazy, but like yeah. when it comes to someone being the guy who makes the move, right? Like in the past, that was Mo Farah. Everyone kind of just respected like you know, double yeah. champion. <laughs> like he, he, he's the yeah. guy who when he makes the move, everyone kind of gives way and it's like, okay, now we have to react to, to this. Yeah. Are you are you thinking that someone else? It's I'm not putting it on you, but I'm like thinking like. Yeah. <laughs> Who who is like the guy that you kind of cue off of in a situation like that? I think honestly, for me, you got to pay attention. A dozen to people, anyone. right? Yeah, yeah. I think when it the race it gets to a certain point, like if someone makes a move like two k in, take what you want from it. You can either <laughs> go with him or like maybe think that you're gonna hunt them down later. But I think like when there's a mile to go, one k or yeah, mile to go, two k to go. If someone makes a move in that time, you got to respect that move for them because they deserve to be there. And the chances are, is if you don't catch them, then they might win the race. So I don't know who it's going to be. Um, honestly, a lot of guys have been running really well. I can see it being Chepta guy. Um, I could see it being Mohammed. It, it could be Jakob. It could be me. I don't know. I think like a lot of the guys are strong. A lot of the guys are fast and, um, I think we all respect each other. So it's going to be interesting. I have no clue how it's going to play out, but that's what makes it fun when you don't know how it's going to go down and then your natural instincts have to kick in. Yeah. I like how you included it. It could be me so that you add a level of intrigue as well. Yeah, it could be me. Who knows? Maybe I got a lot stronger. (laughs) Um, All right. Final questions that I ask every guest, but before I get to that one, you said, you put out a tweet that said Gatorade tastes better in Europe. I need you to explain this. Like what, what made it? <laughs> no, I'm telling you, it doesn't even make sense. So, I mean, I have Gatorade in, in the USA. I like Gatorade. Gatorade tastes good. But in Europe, one, I think they had like a little bit of like different flavors. Like they had lime and stuff like that, which I don't know if they have that flavor in, in America, but it just, it didn't taste as sugary. It just tasted a little bit more natural. So to me, like, it did taste a lot better. I, I wasn't trying to throw any shade. I mean, they, they might kick me out of the States for putting, for putting too much shade on America, but it did taste better in, in Europe. <laughs> we're, we're, we're working on getting you that Gatorade sponsor. I guess everyone will, uh, will, will just tweet at Gatorade that they need to sponsor you. <laughs> yeah. That would be great. That would be great. I see a lot of uh, the USA athletes are getting sponsored. I saw the Doritos. I saw... We might see the McDonald's one. Uh, I forgot which which girl was trying to get the McDonald's. Yeah, one, it was Connie really cool. Burks. Yeah, yeah, the the uh, the long jumper. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I don't have. I never had a cool job like that. So, like, <laughs> I don't know if I'll get that lucky. Well, did you have any outside job? Like, I, Nick Willis, I think once uh, shared that his first. He was like a dishwasher at a restaurant when he was like growing up. Oh, that was wow. his first ever job. So, did, did you wow. have anything? <laughs> Uh, I had a job when I was like during the summer at Syracuse where um, I worked for this company called BioSteel and you might have heard of them they're like pretty big in the NBA now and some of the NFL it's a sports drink company 
but the former own, like the owner at the time was a good friend of mine and he reached out to me and he was just like, Hey, Justin, like I got a job for you. Uh, let me know. And I was just like, I don't think I'm qualified to do anything for you because this would be my first job, but, uh, sure. And basically my job there was, Oh, let me tell you what the job was. So basically he was also like, um, what do you call it? Like a, a sports, not trainer, but, uh, oh, shoot. I'm sorry. I'm blanking for the word, but like basically when the NHL athletes would come back from their respected teams and came back to Toronto, he would like work them out and train them and everything, make sure that they're keeping in shape. And, um, yeah. So for my job, one was just to like clean the locker rooms, make sure that their sticks are all good, make sure their skates are sharp. Uh, we had an ice rink and it functioned at my, my former high school, St. Mike's cause it was a big hockey school. And I'd have to make sure that like the ice was ready for them to go on and stuff like that. Make sure their water bottles were filled, make their smoothies, run any other errands. And then the other job I had to do was like uh, help them with like their running mechanics and stuff. So that was a job that I had, I held for like two years, which was pretty cool. And uh, other than that, no, I didn't have a different job. So the resume has that job and then professional runner. Love it. <laughs> Simple <laughs> enough. Oh, I, I did landscaping one summer. Uh, okay. <laughs> I don't know how seriously you could take me, but I, I have it on my resume. <laughs> That's good. All right. Final questions. What's first one. What's the meanest thing you've read about yourself on let's run.com? Oh man. See, I haven't been on let's run in a long time, actually. Um, the meanest thing I read, someone told me that like, or someone said that my form is too robotic or something <laughs> like that. That's not too bad. No one, yeah, I feel like my form is pretty nice, but I feel like I, I no one's really ever said anything crazy about me. At least how, not to my knowledge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to remember how I, I remember like guys like Marty and the, the other Syracuse guys, they really took it personally when, when Chipgate was a thing at the Wisconsin uh, meet. Do you remember oh, that? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> were, I do. I were, do. You, were you one of the people who was like very heated? I, I, I can't see you getting too angry about something like that. <laughs> No, I didn't really care. Honestly, like, I feel like back in the day, Syracuse, like, we, they really didn't, uh, they felt like Flowtrack hated them, <laughs> to put it, like, pretty bluntly. But uh, Flowtrack always showed me love, and I was just like, hey, I don't really care. I don't really care what other people are saying. Like, we won the race. Like, who cares? I don't know. That, that was, it was just hilarious, because I think, like, <laughs> The results were coming in, and I, and I think the, the comment was like, oh, this must be a chip, chip malfunction or something like that. And yeah. <laughs> no, I think it was just, in the end, people just slept on, on Syracuse. <laughs> yeah, we were slept on. it. But the thing is, is that people sleeping on us made us work so hard. I think, like, if we didn't want to prove people wrong, we might not have worked as hard, and we might not have won NCAAs. But um, I think it actually, it all played out really nicely for us. Mm-hmm yeah next one is what's the funniest drug testing story you've got oh <laughs> oh man i don't even well like just the classic one of basically like a bunch not a bunch of times but maybe a couple of times like i'll fill it up and i'm literally like maybe what like five milliliters away from getting like the amount of pee that i needed 
And then from then I have to wait like an hour and a half because I have nothing left in my system to give them. And uh, yeah, that one, that one was pretty interesting too. Just like almost getting it and then like having to make the people wait for that long. That's a good one. That's a good one. Next one is if you could go on a run anywhere in the world with anyone from history, assuming they could hold a nice conversational pace with you, they don't have to be a real person. They don't have to be a runner. Who would it be and where would the run take place? Oh, it'd be Michael Jordan and oh, no, 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 no. It'd be Drake. It'd be Drake. I figured. Sorry, Michael. <laughs> I love you, Michael. Michael, you've been my hero as an athlete, but like at this point in time in my life, I gotta meet I gotta meet the the sixth god. So it would be with Drake and I feel like it'd only be right if we did it through downtown Toronto. You know? That's a good one. Wait, Even so though you, I run there all the time. You've never met Drake. Ever. Never. Uh, for sure. I've seen him like yeah. I've seen him up close before. Like I went to the Raptors parade and like I was literally like the first person in line and he was like maybe like a foot away from me, but I've never met him at all. So. Maybe this is what we need. We need we need the Raptors <laughs> to get you courtside seats if you medal at the Olympics <laughs> or something like that, or do something crazy in the final. They'll give you, you better put me in seats. a song if I do that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we'll we'll get you to meet him somehow post Olympics. I think. Yeah, that would be. I mean, that's part of the motivation, isn't it? It's not right. about you know, all the sponsors I can get, or it's just about meeting Drake at the end of the day, right? <laughs> exactly uh last one has nothing to do with running and i think i know how you'd answer it uh you get 25 shots from half court if you make one you win 25 million dollars if you don't make any you go to jail for 25 years would you attempt the oh shot my oh my god no <laughs> I would not really you have I the basketball so. background but from half court though like there's some NBA players that I know that can't even hit half court shots. I don't know. Like, have you ever seen the all-star game when they used to do that? Uh, the skills that challenge. Event right? where, yeah. The, or not the skills challenge, but like where they take people from the past and like you're on a team with them and you have to hit like the free throw three point. And then it's like from half court. Some of those NBA players be taking a long time to hit that half court shot. So I'm not sure about that one. Man. <laughs> all right. And all right. A guy like me in jail, like, you know, maybe if I was like a thrower and I was big and beefy and like if I was strong, maybe I'd roll the die and like maybe I'd be able to defend myself in jail. But I don't know. I don't think it's looking pretty for me out there. Twenty-five million, not the price of freedom for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll Justin. we'll uh, we'll wait up on. Uh, we'll try to win the lottery instead. Yeah, I like that, Justin. I appreciate you taking the time for this. This is a lot of fun. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Thanks to Justin for taking the time to chat. I'm releasing this podcast on July 19th, which is his 25th birthday. So if you're listening to this on the day of or want to wish him a belated happy birthday, tell him the Sidious Mac podcast sent you. If you're digging all the content and want to show your support for Sidious, then hit us with a couple bucks and pledge your support over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Sidious Mag. Your help gets us to events, covers hosting fees, and now we're hiring a part-time podcast producer. So look out for bigger things in the future from us. Thanks to Whoop for being the title sponsor of the Sidious Mag podcast. Head on over to whoop.com and enter code Sidious at checkout to save 15% off. Sleep better, recover faster, run faster, get to that next starting line healthy with Whoop. That's all I've got. I've been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running. 
We've got another episode later this week, and his last name is also Knight, but he's not related to Justin, so stay tuned for more on that. Legs are feeling good.